Thank you for listening to the Paradigm Podcast. Paradigm is a young adult ministry that exists to see lives changed by Jesus. For more information about Paradigm, go to ParadigmKC.com. We hope this message is inspiring and life-changing. Thanks for listening. But also, man, I love vacation. I love, love vacation. And uh, one of the things I love about vacation is, is the time of year. And so like what's become tradition in my household is we put together like a fall vacation. And this year we got to do a vacation of all vacations. We got to go up to Montana. If you've never been to Montana, it's amazing, y'all. And so we have some friends that live up there. They hosted us. And I was like, all right, we can get there, but we can't afford to stay there. So if you could hook us up, it was awesome. And we had such a good time. And one of the greatest things about vac- vacation is the expectation towards vacation. I mean, like, like half of the joy of vacation is just counting down the days before you get to go on vacation. Uh, and, and I don't know if you are like me, but um, when we finally decide, all right, we've got a destination, and I've already, we've already made some key purchases to get there, and it's like, all right, it's happening. You know, I put in my vacation days. Um, I don't know if you're anything like me, but like, it's hard for me to stay focused on what I need to get done in the day. You know, so I find myself, when I've got the place that we're going, I'll find myself like in three moments of my day, like just looking up excursions. I'll be looking up stuff like skydiving here or like parasailing there. Stuff I, even, I, I can't even afford to do, but I'm like, it'd be cool just to look at it, you know? So I'm always like horseback riding and like, like skydive. I'm like airplane, like whatever we can do. And I, and I just kind of get consumed with what's about to come. And, and then there's this tendency for me to, to, to neglect what needs to be done like today. You know what I'm saying? Like I'll get so excited about, about what's gonna happen in the future that oftentimes I can, I can dismiss what needs to be done in the present. I don't know if you ever get excited about something and you start expecting what that thing's gonna be and you start looking forward to that sort of thing that you, you become neglectful unwittingly but neglectful in either way in what needs to be done today. And the reason why I start there tonight is because when you become a Christian, what you're saying is like that, that you're gonna go to heaven someday. And like, we cannot embellish heaven, y'all. Like, the things that you study about heaven, and then just like, imagine the greatest place you could go to but redeemed. Like, it's gonna be incredible. And heaven is one of these things that every Christian should eagerly anticipate. Like, one day, we won't get there. And we believe that we're gonna, we're gonna die and go to heaven, or Jesus is gonna return. And so what happens is that, that, no doubt, there's this expectation that begins to build about what's gonna happen in the future. But sometimes you can get so fired up about what is gonna come in the future that you forget what needs to be done in the present. Like, I don't know if you've ever met a Christian that's just kind of buying their time until they go to heaven. And it's just like, like, what is your faith doing? And like, they have a lot of faith in what's gonna happen in the future. They have a lot of faith in the tomorrow, but it's like, what is actually happening with your faith today? So tonight, we're gonna get real practical with some things that you and I need to be doing daily. So if you're taking notes, I've titled this message, What Do I Need to Do Today? What do I need to do today? And I wanna give you three things from God's word that you need to do today. The first thing that we're gonna see from God's word is that you need to love better. The second thing, you gotta live simply. And the third thing is that you gotta share openly. Now the reason why we're getting real practical tonight is because we're just following the book where it leads us, all right? We're just following the word of God. We've come here tonight, if you're new to Paradigm, one of the things that we are fired up about is Jesus and his word, man. We are excited to open up the word of God because, I mean, I've got some things I've learned through my life, but it pales in comparison to what God says for 
people. And so we're coming here and we're saying, hey, God, we want to learn from you, not from some man, not some wisdom from the world. We want to learn from God's word. And so the reason why we get practical tonight is because God's word gets practical. Paul is the, is the guy that wrote this little letter to a group of people in Thessalonica. And it's a group of Christians in the first century. And, and they're just trying to figure out like, all right, man, my life has been changed by Jesus. We, we are excited that he is going to return. And we are so fired up about what is to come. And then Paul's like, but, but guys, guys, I need you to focus on what needs to be done today. I don't know if you ever studied the Bible or heard a sermon or been in a place like this. And you're like, man, those are some good ideas. You know, like, I don't know, like if you're like me, sometimes I'll read the Bible and I'm like, man, it just, it can seem ideological, you know, it can seem like really philosophical and you can, and maybe you've sat with some Christians before and like, they just like, they just went round and round and round about like spiritual things and transcendence and metaphysics and all of this stuff. You're like, wow, that was deep. And then it like didn't impact anything. Or maybe you've, you've been in a space like this and you're like, wow, that's amazing. Those truths are incredible. What does that mean for me today? You know, like I'm just a young 25-year-old single person trying to make it through my 20s. You know, like what, is, what does all of that mean? God is holy. He's righteous. That's great. But what does that mean for me? And I think oftentimes you can study the Bible, and the Bible has a lot of philosophical ideas. But the Bible was written so that you can know God and know the way of God. And so sometimes I'll be in spaces like this, and I'm like, okay, okay, okay. Thanks for the information. What do you want me to do? And tonight, we're going to give you some very, very clear things about what you need to do, some tangible things that you can do with your faith. Now, let me just kind of give a disclaimer real quick. Paul, he's talking to Christians. And so as we read the Bible, I think it's important to understand who is in mind, who is the original audience. And the original audience in this little letter uh, are people that have said, you know what, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. And, and maybe you've come in here and that's not where you are yet. We're so glad that you're here. But I just want to kind of bring us all on the same page, that, kind of a disclaimer that tonight is really for the Christian. And a Christian is somebody that wasn't just born in America, wasn't just born in the right family, or wasn't, didn't just go to the right place. A Christian is somebody that has raised their hand metaphorically and said, God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I've missed the mark of your, per, your perfect standard. I, and I admit that. And, and I, I have heard the good news that Jesus came, lived a sinless life, that he died a sinner's death on a cross, that he rose from the grave. He ascended to the right hand of the Father. He is Lord over all, and he's going to return someday. I believe that, and I've asked Jesus to forgive me for my, of my sins. And, and like this exchange took place. And, and, and in your life, like you, you didn't have just some kind of, like it wasn't a phase you went through. You would say like you were literally, or, or you were spiritually born again. There was a time in your life where you're like, you know what, I was doing this, thinking I didn't need anything, that I admitted my, I admitted my sin, I believed on Jesus, and I turned and I started following Jesus with my life. That's what a Christian is. And maybe you've done that, but maybe you haven't. And here's what I would just say, if you haven't done that, man, that's really, that is really the most important thing you can do with your life. And everything that we're gonna talk about, you can apply the principles to your life, and I think it'll make your life better. But really, this message is for the people that have, said, I want to follow Jesus Christ. And when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, um, here's what happens. And I think sometimes we, we struggle with this, uh, because I know that I struggle with this. That there are these times where I'm like, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And I'll read something in his word, and I'll read it as a suggestion. I'm like, that's nice. Um, the Bible's not full of niceties and, and suggestions, all right? We're talking about you've given your life over to Jesus, and you are following his way. So when we read his word, 
We have to change according to what his word has to say. And so tonight, I'm gonna give you some truths, and if you're a Christian, you need to ask yourself, am I doing these things? And if I'm not, then God, give me the strength through your Holy Spirit to do them. And so this is for the Christians tonight. Paul, he says this, he says in verse nine, 1 Thessalonians chapter four, starting in verse nine. He says, but concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you. He says, for you, you yourselves, you, you were taught by God to love one another. And Paul, like he loves these people in Thessalonica and he's hyping them up. We've already said this, you know, week in and week out. Like he's like high-fiving you guys. When it comes to love, man, you guys are crushing them. He says, indeed, you do so toward all the brethren who are in Macedonia. Now, Thessalonica was to Macedonia as Lee Summit is to Kansas City. And so like there was something happening in Thessalonica and it was impacting the greater metro metropolitan area. And like imagine if something was happening tonight that just kind of just begin to ooze out into the metropolitan area and they're like, man, something happened in that suburb that impacted the whole region of Kansas City. And that's what he's saying, that your love, it was reputable. People heard about the way that you guys were loving one another. But he says this in verse 10, this is a key phrase. He says, but we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. Point number one, if you're taking notes tonight, you can write this down. You wanna love better. Chad, what do I need to do today? What do I need to do with my faith today? Here's something you can do. Love better. You gotta love better. Paul, again, he's encouraging them, like, guys, y'all are crushing it, but you, you need to get better. Do this more and more. Now, when it comes to loving people, this is a really big deal to Jesus. Jesus, he, he's like, when he steps onto the scene, he gets asked this question. He says, um, the people come to Jesus and they're like religious rulers and like, like theologians and they're like, all right, Jesus, what is the greatest thing that we could do with our life? What's the greatest commandment? Is that the way they ask it? And Jesus replies to them like this. He says, man, the greatest commandment is that you could, y'all taking notes? He's like, you need to write this down. It's the greatest commandment. I'm gonna sum it all down. I love that Jesus does this. I don't know if, um, like when you were going to school, if you ever took an AP class, you know what that is? That's like a really hard class where they promise you're gonna make a four or more on the test and get college credit. And so you do the really hard class, but then you make a two. Um, anyway, and so I took this class and, and I think the reason why I didn't make the, the grade because I was like, you know, they're like, here's the history books that you need to know. And I was like, um, are there some cliff notes? Y'all know what cliff notes are? Or the spark notes? Any spark note people, you know? Like, like, can you reduce all that down to a little bit? Well, I was, I was, I wasn't even gonna read that. Like, I was gonna read, like, I was like, hey, did you make flashcards? Can I study with you? You know, that was me. That's the kind of student I was because I, I just like, hey, what do I, what's the bare minimum I need to know? And I love that Jesus, he just whittles it down and he says this, here's the two things. He says, you need to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then you need to love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, all the law and all the prophets, that's like, that's like this much of your Bible, okay? That thick part. All of that is summed up into these two things. If you love God and you love people. So the fact that Paul is telling them, hey guys, y'all are, are doing good on the love thing, but you need to increase more and more. It shouldn't surprise us that Jesus is fired up about his followers loving people. Now, I think that in our culture, um, that word is, has gotten a little bit watered down, uh, that you can, <laughs> you, you can say, uh, man, I love Taco Bell after Paradigm, and I love the Bible, you know, like, but is there, there's got to be a difference there, right? Okay, and so we have this one word, and so I think it's helpful when we talk about love according to God's word, what exactly does that mean? Well, we'll think about it this way, that love according to the scripture is really marked by sacrifice, you, you're good at sacrificing for you. I, I know this about me. I love me some me. I, I mean, I woke up this morning, I was like, me, what you want to eat? You know, like I was just, I love me some me. You know what I'm saying? 
and I, and I care for me, I sacrifice for me. You know, I'll stay up late for me. I'll get up early for me. You know, I love, I'll sleep in for me. I love me some me. And you love you some you. You know how to sacrifice for you. You know how to give yourself the best. And God's saying that you need to grow in your love towards other people that way. Who are the people that you're sacrificing for? And Jesus, man, he's fired up about this. So Paul, he calls these people like, man, here's what your faith needs to do today. You need to get better at love. Now, he, he hypes them up. Again, he, he says, hey, you guys are doing this well. I'm not trying to come down on you. He's like, y'all are doing this well. He even uses a phrase that's only used here in the New Testament. He said that you guys, y'all were taught by God. Like there were things that y'all were doing that no one taught you how to do. Y'all just, y'all picked up on that and the Holy Spirit taught you that. He says, y'all's love, it was reputable. But he still says, y'all need to keep it up. You need to increase in this. Here's what I've learned about love. Love, it, it's a feeling, but it's really more of a verb. It's really more of an action. That love, the nature of love is that it requires work. Like it requires maintenance. Like to put it simply, love does. And if you think that like you've arrived at the love thing, listen, you haven't arrived at the love thing. You may have some history where you've sacrificed for people, but today's a new day, and today is a day where you get better at love. So I want you to think about it real quick. Think about your life. How are you doing in the love one another category? Think about the people you live with. Uh, think, about, think about the people that are close to you, the people you work with. What grade would they give you in your ability to love sacrificially? Now, I think there's a few obstacles when it comes to love, and I want to draw your attention to just three obstacles that I thought of when it comes to love that make it difficult for us to get better at love. The first obstacle is, is loneliness. Loneliness. See, it's hard to give someone love that you don't know. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's hard to love and to give love away to people that, that you don't know. And here's what's, here's what's sad about the room tonight. Based upon research, man, we are lonely. Research tells us this, that 61% of us are lonely. That 21% of people have no close friends that 58% of people feel like no one knows them, and according to this study, Gen Z and millennials, that's us in the room, we're the loneliest. Now, what's ironic about this is that, is that we are the most connected generation ever in history. And so we have more social platforms and more ways through technology to have relationship, yet the irony is, is that we are lonelier than any generation before us. And so I think when we went through the pandemic, like we were all shut in, and, and we got social distance, but then many people, maybe you here tonight, when, when everything began to open back up, you didn't really have any close people in your life. And the pandemic revealed that you truly have no people in your life. And loneliness, it is something that is plaguing our generation. Uh, so much so, there was a, a doctor, uh, a surgeon general rather, he, he said this in a Harvard Business Review, Dr. Vivek Murthy said this, during my years of caring, for patients, the most common pathology that I saw was not heart disease, uh, it wasn't diabetes, it was loneliness. Do you get that? A surgeon general doctor said, when I saw people coming to the hospital, I didn't see anyone visit them. And the greatest sickness, the most insidious thing that he observed was loneliness. It's hard to love people better when you're riddled with loneliness. And so I think some of you, that's, that's a big obstacle in your life. Uh, a second obstacle that maybe you faced or, or that you, you will face, and I know that you will face, is, is selfishness. Man, it is hard to die to yourself. 
Like when you study the Bible, Jesus, he's gonna say this, if you, you, you've gotta give to get, is what he says. You, you've gotta lose your life in order to get life. The, the, the scriptures teach us, Paul teaches elsewhere to a group of people in Philippi, he says, uh, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. That selfishness is the antithesis of you experiencing love. That when you try to live for yourself, you cannot love at the same time. Th- this should make sense. Like in my marriage with my wife, if I choose to live for myself, then something dies in our marriage. If she chooses to live for herself, then something dies in our marriage. If we both choose to live for ourselves, then something dies in our marriage. It doesn't last. That you've got to get over yourself in order to love. That you cannot love God's way and love yourself in the same breath, in the same scenario. So you've got to deny yourself. Jesus said this, that greater love has no man than this, that you lay down your life for your friends. Jesus said that by this love, this sacrificial love, the world will know that you are his followers. That an obstacle to us loving better is loneliness. Another obstacle is selfishness. And thirdly, an obstacle uh, to us being able to love better is, is flakiness. Flaky. You know a flaky person? Don't look at them. You know, they probably showed up late. You thought they weren't coming, right? You ever known a flaky person? Like, I think that we flake out in two primary ways in our generation, I've observed. First of all, I think when it comes to commitment, we are weak in this area, y'all. Like, I don't know if, it, I don't know if it's FOMO, if it's too many op- options. I don't know what it is, but I see it play out in two different areas in my life, and I see it play out in this way in, in many others' lives, that, that we tend to either undercommit or overcommit. You know what I'm saying? Like, so we'll undercommit. So maybe that played out like this for you this weekend. You, you knew that there was going to be a costume party. I don't know why grown people dressing up in costumes, but, but we turn up for costume parties, right? Some of y'all went all out. I saw somebody put on fake braces. I was like, why? Wow. Anyway, so y'all, y'all knew there was going to be some costume parties. And, um, and so like, but you didn't, you didn't commit, you know? Like you were like, somebody called or they screenshot something, they sent you, they DM'd you, whatever, they tagged you, whatever it is. And you was like, all right, I'm, I'm going to see, like, that's, that's, that looks like a good party, but I've heard that I may get invited to this other party. And then like you had six options, you didn't commit to any of them because you were just holding out to see which is gonna be your best option. Don't look at me like y'all don't do this, y'all. Come on now, I feel the judgment up here. We tend to undercommit. I don't know, man, I don't know if I, I, don't know if I commit to that. Like what, you, what else you got going on on Friday night, you know? Or we tend to overcommit. You know, you got four Halloween party invitations, you're like, yes, 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 I'm gonna be at all of them. You know, and, and costume change every time. You know, like why are you gonna do that to yourself? And then you're stressed out because you're overcommitting. And and really, you're flaky. You said you're going to be there at 7, but this party went long. You got caught up in that conversation, and you're like, oh, I'm so sorry. And and now it's 7.45, and and you're there, but but then the next, and you're texting, like, hey, can you give me 15? But really what that means is 30. You know, like, you're that person. And we tend to be flaky. And listen, you cannot love better if you cannot honor your commitments. The Word of God tells us in Psalm 15 that the people that God loves are the people that hold their commitment even when it hurts. And if you're going to have robust relationships that go deep, that are marked by sacrifice, then you're going to need to learn how to commit, how to be a man and a woman of your word. Now, when I first started following Christ, man, <laughs> my life was, it, it was marked a little bit by Miles. Like, my, you heard Miles, the guy that was emceeing earlier, and he's like, man, I thought I had it together, but really I didn't, you know? And so, like, for me, I was in this vicious cycle of, like, sin confess, sin confess. And, and finally, when I was a, a young adult, I was like, God, I prayed that tire prayer. God, if you'll forgive me, if you'll forgive me, I promise I'll never, you know? Y'all probably prayed that prayer before. And, like, I would prayed that before, and then I fell back into my sin. And then, but this time, I was like, but God, this time's going to be different. 
And as I look back at my life, one of the things that was different about that time is I, I not only had a vertical reconciliation in my relationship with God, but I got into Christian community. And as I look back on my life, man, if I didn't find a band of brothers to get into biblical community with, I don't think that I would have ever seen traction in my walk with God. And so one of the things that we are fired up about here is that you get connected to Christ and that you get connected to community. Because listen, Jesus Christ didn't die so that you could have a relationship with him and that's it. He, he died so that you could be connected to a body, to a group of people, a spiritual family, a band of brothers, a band of sisters, so that you could build the kingdom of God together. And so for me, like I found these group of men and we started following Christ together. And we, and, and we got to love one another. We got to sacrifice for one another. We, we, we got to come out of isolation and loneliness because what I found is that up until that point in my life, I don't think anyone really ever knew what I was dealing with to the depth that I was dealing with it because I was, I was isolated, I was lonely. But I found some men that began to ask some questions and began to interrogate me a little bit, spiritually speaking. And, like I, and, I, and I, I brought some things out to the light and God began to heal some things in my life. And then we begin to live on mission together and build the kingdom of, a, of God together. We, we prayed, we laughed, we, 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 uh, we served at church. We, I mean, we read our word together. I mean, we lived on mission. We fought our sin. We, 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 just, we, did the, we did what the Bible talks about doing. Now, um, if you haven't found a group of people like that, I encourage you to start praying, God, would you send me some people? And I just want to um, just keep it real. Like, it, it wasn't perfect, and it never is perfect, but I got a vision, and I had an impact and an experience that had just set me on a trajectory where I cannot do life without some men in my life that I'm following Jesus with. But as I look back, like, there was this, <laughs> there was this one time where uh, there was just four of us, and two of the four, they got in a little bit of a squirmish. And, um, like, they, they were getting frustrated because we're all living together. I don't know if you had roommates before, but roommates, you know, they... You know, I'm giving you opportunity to love, you know. So anyway, we, we just got to get each other's nerves. And, and eventually, like, it, it came to a head with these two guys, and, and they started fighting each other. Now, if you're having this idea uh, that, like, Christians don't fight, oh, that's nice. <laughs> you must not know any, like, I know. So anyway, these guys, like, they, they got upset like a couple of brothers. And, uh, you know, I come in, and, like, there's a hole in the wall, and one of them's got a big old bruise on his back. I'm like, what, ha what, hap what happened up in here? They're like, you know, and they got so mad that they threw hands at each other, y'all. Now, these are Christian men, and, and oftentimes, Christians, we don't get it right. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that you're perfect, amen? And really, what marks a Christian is how does their faith work out in their life? And so, in this situation, like, it was like, all right, well, hey, are we brothers or are we not? And so, y'all, come on in here. Like, let's, let's resolve this. And because we loved better, because we, we got out of isolation, because we got over ourselves, because we, we honored our commitment, those men were in each other's weddings. We are all friends to this day, following Jesus to this day. And really when you look back, the reason why many people don't experience Christian love is because we're so flaky. When it gets hard, we just, we just leave. We don't honor our commitments. When it gets difficult or when somebody does something weird, we're like, I'm going to move over where there's not weird people. Hello, we're all weird, all right? We all got something. And we're called to work through that so that we can live out this idea of Christian brotherly or sisterly love. You got to love better. What do you need to do today? Some of you, you, you need to go reconcile something that's going on between you and a, and a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ. Some of you need to choose to love one of your enemies. 
Some of you, you need to choose to forgive so that you can honor your commitment to love better. Paul, he goes on in verse 11, he says this. He says that, that you also aspire, that's a key word, you can circle that word, aspire. He says that you also aspire, here, here's one thing, to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. I, I love this. Paul is just getting real practical. You know, he's writing this letter. And he's like, guys, y'all are amazing. Remember our time together? And, and you know, avoid sexual immorality and, and don't defraud people. And then, and then, by the way, you should live a quiet life, mind your own business, and work with your hands. You know, I love this. Paul's just getting real practical. What, what should I do with my faith today? He was just giving these encouragements, and he's telling us what to do. Point number two, if you're taking notes tonight, you can write this down. You need to live simply. You gotta love better and then you need to live simply. Paul, again, he gives us three things that we need to grow in. We need to grow in a quiet life, minding our own business and working with our hands. And now this word aspire, it literally means uh, make it your ambition. It's like, man, when like rise and grind and you get up and what's on the to-do list with my faith today? Well, here's three things. Live a quiet life, mind your own business, work with your own hands. He says, uh, be excellent at these things. Aspire to do these things. <laughs> I love this, man. I love the simplicity of these truths. And I love it because I think sometimes we can come to a space like this and over-spiritualize our faith. I don't know if, I don't know if I'm talking about. Like the Bible, it'll say things like, you should pray, you should share your faith, uh, you should read the Bible. You know, it's gonna give us mandates like that, and those are good things, but I love tonight. It's just, it's just like, uh, you know, these things don't seem very spiritual, you know? Like, there's this tendency to make spirituality out to be like, how was the vibe at Tuesday night thing, you know? How was the energy? And it's like, I, I get all that, you know, like vibe and energy. I think those, there's some merit to some of that stuff. But it's like, I think sometimes we can overemphasize that sort of thing, and we can divorce our faith from real life. <laughs> like, I'll meet people, like, what's the vibe, what's the energy? I'm like, what's your faith doing, man? <laughs> How's it impacting your life? And Paul, he's getting real practical tonight. And I love this because I think that God is far more organic than we give him credit to be. Like if your faith is just about you being better at prayer, you, about you having better worship experiences, and it doesn't impact your daily life, I think you've misunderstood the depth by which God wants to grab a hold and control and inform and influence your life. Your faith should go to work. What do you need to do today? You need to love better. You need to live simply. And Paul, man, he's getting real practical. Because apparently there were, some, there were some issues going on in this church. I love reading the Bible because <laughs> I think you'll hear people, um, they'll, they'll start talking about like, like Christianity. They're like, we just, we just need to give back to the, the early church. You know, the early church had it going on. Like, we just, is this a biblical church? Well, we just need to give back to the early church. I'm like, bro, you ever read about some of these early churches? These folks. And so Paul, like he's writing to these people and, and they had some issues. And that, that gives me some consolation because we got some issues too. Anyway, so Paul says this in 2 Thessalonians. We get a little bit more understanding as to why Paul is, is coming at them a little bit here. He says this in 2 Thessalonians 3, same group of people. He says, uh, verse 10, he says, even while we were with you, we gave you this command. Those unwilling to work will not get to eat. I love that. If you don't work, you don't eat, Okay. He says, yet we hear that some of you are living idle lives, refusing to work and meddling in other people's business. He says, we command such people and urge them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and work to earn their own living. Like Paul sounds like the old guy, you know? When are you gonna get a job? You know, that kind of thing. And uh, I love this. That apparently there were some people and that they were so fired up about heaven and they were, they were justifying not having to go to work. 
They were so fired up about praying Maranatha, Lord Jesus come, that, that they were just being idle and they were, they were meddling in other people's business. It's not wrong to pray. We should be excited about heaven, but our faith should impact what we do today. So Paul, he says, aspire to do three things. Let's talk about those real quick. He's telling them to aspire to do these three things. The first one is aspire to live a quiet life or to lead a quiet life. Uh, he, said, he says, literally, make your ambition to be quiet. Now, Paul's not really talking about the volume of your outside. He's talking about the, the volume of your inside. When he says quiet life, that doesn't mean like there's some uh, sects of Christianity historically, and they're called Trappist monks. And a Trappist monk is where you go live with a group of guys at a monastery and you don't say anything. Just say it, man. If you can say it, say it, all right? Like if you gotta do sign language because of, of hearing impairment, you know, that's a different thing. But if you can speak, and, and so like they would make this commitment just to not speak. And I think they would misunderstand what Paul's saying here. What he's talking about is, is not so much what's on the outside, but what's on the inside. He's calling them to aspire to lead a quiet life. How, how are you doing on the inside tonight? We have this room in our house, it's called the leather room. Let me explain, I do leather work, and uh, some of you are like, that's weird, I do leather work, and so, and that was where like we put sewing machines and, and things like that, so it bears the title leather room. Now, now I've moved all of that stuff out to the basement, but for some reason we still, we should just call it the junk room, but we call it the leather room in our house, and so it's, it's really a junk room. It's one of those rooms, and I know you got this room where you got this drawer, or maybe it's your, your console in your car, I'm not real sure, or your car, but it's just like that room that just has everything that doesn't belong somewhere, and it doesn't make sense, and it's chaotic, and, and, and you really know you need to do something about it. It needs some organization, but you're like, you know what? Where should we put this? Put it in the leather room, that kind of thing. I thought about bringing a picture, but it's a little bit embarrassing, okay? And so we have that space in our house, and, uh, and I think that we all know exactly what I'm talking about in some form or fashion. Um, but for some of us, the way I just described that room is how you would describe your life, your heart. It's chaotic. There's a lot of things in there that don't belong, uh, that don't make sense. You know you need to do some organization, but you just don't have the energy. And Paul's saying, make it your ambition to live a quiet life. And he's talking about what's going on on the inside. Now, I think as a generation, we're, we're seeing this trend take place towards simplicity. Have y'all heard this, like minimalism? And it's like, I'm, I'm a minimalist, I, I'm a minimalist. You know, and, and that means like you just wear monochromatic colors and, uh, and a minimalist is somebody that, that's trying to get less stuff, you know? And so like you hold something and you ask, does this make me joyful? And if it doesn't, then you, you, don't, you don't use it, you don't get it. And then like you, you're, you're cleaning out things, like you go into a minimalist house, it's like eight square feet, you know, and like, like welcome to our house, it's minimalist, it's a tiny house, you know, and it's got walls with no things on the wall and like that's cool right now. Like go to a minimalist house, you're like, wow, this is, Wow, this is minimal, you know, and like, and, and that's cool right now because people are, they're rebelling against the materialism of generations that have come before us. And research tells us that millennials are carrying less credit card debt than boomers, than our parents. And so like there's this trend that's taking place where we're not, we're not accumulating the things that our parents once did. 
And then also there's this trend to like work less. You know, like we're trying to get more leisure time. And so like when you look at research in the 1960s, there was a certain amount of hours in the work week. And today there's eight less hours per week in the work week compared to 1960. And there's also seven more leisure hours that are being spent because our generation is not as committed to like civic organizations, rotary clubs, things like that. And so we're just not, we're not doing as many things as people before. We're just enjoying ourselves a little bit more. And so what's happened is that people have said, you know, we need to simplify our lives. So let's get less things or let's, let's have less things and, and let's get more time. And then we'll have this inner quietness. Now, the irony of it is this. We've done those things. But anxiety is at an all-time high. And the irony is that we've, we've decluttered our life. We've gone monochromatic. We've got the tiny house. We've done the minimalist thing. We, we've taken a, a job that, that makes us work less hours so that we can travel more. But anxiety is climbing. And I think it's because we've misunderstood rest. And I, know, I know this is true in my life. We, if you've been tracking with us, we did a series at the beginning of this year called Work and Rest. And what we talked about is how to rest according to what the Bible teaches about rest. Because Jesus has come so that you would have serenity on the inside. Jesus has come so that you would have peace that would surpass all understanding. Jesus has come so that if you're weary and you're heavy burdened, that, that you would come to him and that he would give you rest, that the waters inside of your heart would be placid, not tumultuous. And I think we've misunderstood rest, and so let me just remind you of one thing that you can do in order to live a quiet life. You can rest by doing two things. When you have a weekly time of rest, you would seek to reconnect in your relationship to God and your relationship with those that you love. And so for me, like I remember standing on the stage at the beginning of this year saying, guys, I am not good at this rest thing. And I think if I keep running at the pace that I'm running without understanding rest properly, it's not gonna end well for me. And I'm not leading my family well either. And so those that I do life with, I need to, I need to go. And so here's what we've done this year. We've made a concentrated effort to take one day a week where we're gonna unplug and we're gonna reconnect with our relationship with God and our relationship with one another. And it's been amazing, y'all. And God is filling my heart with rest that I aspired. I made it my ambition to live a quiet life. And I have to fight to do that. And many of you, it's not about less stuff. It's not about more leisure time. It's about you understanding that God is the only one that can rejuvenate and restore your soul. So reconnect with him. And that those that you love, those that will be crying at your casket when you die, those are the people that you need to be excellent at connecting with in that day so that you can recharge your batteries and live a quiet life. The second thing that Paul says that we need to make our ambition is that we need to make our ambition to mind our own business. He says, aspire, point number two, or uh, sub-point number two, he says, aspire to mind your own business. And now Paul's, he's saying, like, don't meddle in other people's business. I'm not gonna say a whole lot here because uh, I, I may get kind of edgy if I do, but let me just ask you a couple questions, okay? Couple questions. Uh, do you pay more attention to others' lives more than your own heart? Don't be on social media like, mm, can't, but she, she wore that to the Halloween? Oh my gosh, what was she, a prostitute? Anyway, you know, just. <laughs> I shouldn't have said that out loud, I'm sorry. But, but you know you were thinking that, right? And like you were just, like, like we will have this tendency to judge people. 
And we'll meddle in their business. Hey, why are you doing that? That's what we'll think. Why are you doing that? We'll, 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 you know, we'll post something or whatever. And listen, mind your own business. Uh, the other question I have for you is, what problems are you trying to solve in someone else's life when you really need to address your own? Well, if he would just do this or if she would just do this, what about you, bro? Like, what do you need to do? Jesus would say it like this, why are you trying to remove the speck out of your neighbor's eye when you've got a plank or a two by four in your own eye? You need to mind your own business. He's saying, guys, guys, don't get so caught up in what everyone else is doing and neglect what you need to be doing. And so you need to aspire to mind your own business. The third thing is that you need to aspire to work with your own hands. Now, it's it's kind of odd that Paul has to tell them to work with their own hands, but remember, that, like they're looking forward to the return of Christ. You know, they're like, hey man, Jesus is coming back. It's a good thing to look forward to. But they were looking forward to the return of Christ, so they were like, you know what? I just don't feel like working today because this may be the day that Jesus is coming back. <laughs> so I'm just gonna stay here. I'm gonna pray for 30 and then I'm gonna chill for the rest of the work day, you know? And, um, and like there's this mentality that you can get into where you're, you're so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. And you can be so fired up about what's to come that you're neglecting what needs to be done today. And your faith should drive you to work. Now Paul's saying um, that you need to go get a job. That's what he's saying. Again, he's already said, if you don't work, you, you, you shouldn't eat. And, and so like if you're here and you think that it's godly to kind of hold out, you know, and you're above certain jobs, I would just say it's godly to get a job. It's not wrong to have ambition and to have aspirations about getting a better job, but get a job until you get a better job, all right? And I think there's this tendency to kind of, to, to think that I'm, well, I'm too educated for that, I'm above that, and we'll choose unemployment for seasons of time or we'll just kind of we'll mooch or loaf off of people around us that are working hard when we need to go get a job while we wait for the job that we feel like we're qualified for. That it's, the Bible's really clear that work is one of the godliest things that we can do. I think what was happening in this culture is that the Greeks, they believed that you, if you worked with your hands, like that was for slaves. And so people were, they were kind of believing this cultural idea of work and they were not going to work. And so Paul's addressing that, but and I don't think that we believe that in our culture, but we have our own ideas and perversions of what work is and what it isn't. But let me just tell you what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that work is one of the godliest things that we can do. The inauguration of work into humanity was done by God. It was sacred. It is exalted. It is divine. That work, God Almighty, think about this, God the God of the galaxies that doesn't have to do anything. He went to work and he went to work in two ways. He spoke the world into existence and then he got his hands dirty when he was fashioning man in his own image. So God, in this, in the book of beginnings, in the book of Genesis, before there's ever sin, before there's ever corruption, God is working both with his mind and with his hands. So to show us that working with your hands is no better than working with your mind. Working with your mind is no better than working with your hands. Both of them are exalted in God's eyes. And one of the godliest things that you can do is to work. That when we go to work, it's actually a form of worship. Why, why does all this matter? Maybe you're sitting there thinking, like, I'm, I'm glad I came, but what's, like, what's the big deal? Well, Paul gives us why it's such a big deal. And he says this in verse 12. He says that you need to do all of these things so that you may walk properly towards those who are outside and that you may lack nothing. Point number three, and finally, if you're taking notes tonight, you can write this down, that you need to share openly. You need to share openly. Paul's saying that, that when, you, when you display your faith like this, when you love better, when you live simply, 
Listen, the watching world is seeing how your faith works out in your life. And they're watching to see if your faith really makes a difference. Like we are called to share our faith verbally. We should share our faith verbally. We should tell people how Jesus has changed our life. But would somebody be confused if you said, man, Jesus has changed my life. The God of the galaxies moved inside of me. He changed my heart. And he's, man, he's radically impacted my eternity. If they would be like, would they be confused? Would they be like, well, that, that, that doesn't add up because you're the most hateful person at the office. Like you're gonna go back to your, to your home tonight. Maybe you, you live with people that aren't followers of Christ and you're talking about, man, man, paradigm's awesome tonight, man, with the worship and, and, the, and that's awesome, you know, just it's great, you know, and then they're like, okay, how's that gonna impact your Wednesday? Like, why ain't you got a job yet? What, what, listen, Christians should, this should be our goal. We should be the person at the office, in the house, that is the best at love. Like, pe- people may bring something, like, I, I, it's kind of weird when they're praying, it's kind of weird when they bring their, that book to work and they take their break and they read that thing, but man, I, like, there's just something about them, man. They just, they're just, they're just kind. Like, like, I did, like, they brought donuts to the whole office. They just, they just, they're just like a servant. But I mean, the whole faith thing, I'm not real sure about that, but I, I like having them around. We should be the people that have the reputation that we love the best. We should be the people that, that internally, we're the most stable. Like when somebody's at the office or somebody's at the house and they're like, uh, who, who could I talk to? Like, who's, who's gonna give me some good advice? They're like, oh, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna go talk to William. I, I'm, I'm gonna go talk to Ashley. I'm gonna go talk to Chelsea. I'm gonna go talk to that person because they, I, you know, I, I don't know what all they, but like, they're just a safe person. They just seem to, they just seem to have a good vibe. <laughs> I like their energy, whatever it is. Are you that person that has tranquility in your heart that's on display. You should be the hardest working people in the office. No one should outwork a Christian. That we should be marked by excellence. And many of you, man, thank you for the hard work that you do. Like you've come in here, and you, man, you've been grinding all day and you come in here to sacrifice, to learn and to grow and to get connected and thank you for those of you that are putting forth your best effort. You keep going, man. And these are the things that should mark the Christian. Like when you share your faith, are people surprised to find out that you're a Christian? Or are they like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. It's all, the dots are connected now. Why they love so much. Why they have so much peace. And why they work so hard. That's because God changed their life, they said. When we went on vacation, um, I, I figured out like vacation is is an opportunity to do more of the normal things you do in life, but just undivided. Like I went on vacation with the people I love. I took my girls, we went on vacation and we did things like we do every day. Like we ate meals together and we played games together. But the the cool thing about vacation is that you're just doing all of those things that you normally do, but you're doing it in a new place and you're doing it in an undivided way. The only thing that I couldn't do once I was on vacation was to bring somebody with me because I was already there. And the reason why I share that is because your faith has been given to you and you can begin to do the things that we're gonna do forever. Like we're gonna love people for eternity in heaven. Uh, we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna have inner tranquility. We're gonna live simply. I, I believe we're gonna work hard in heaven. But the only thing that we can't do in heaven 
is once we get there, we can't invite anybody else to come with us. That that's what today is all about. And I just wanna urge you tonight to be somebody that if you know Christ, that loves better, that lives simply by having an inner peace, by being someone who is marked by hard work, not meddling in people's business, but encouraging people, and that you would share and invite people so that they can go on the vacation called heaven someday with you. Let's pray. Bow your head, let's pray. Just wanna ask you a couple questions before we pray. One question is, how, how are you loving other people? Second question is this, how are you doing on the inside? Like, how are you doing really? And the last question is this, is there something in your life that needs to be adjusted as a result of listening to God's word so that when you share the gospel, people won't be surprised to find out that you're a Christian? They'll say, oh, that makes sense. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for tonight. God, I thank you for my friends coming to study your word. God, I pray that you would bless them with the power to be able to carry it out. And God, I pray where we fall short that you'd give us the grace uh, to come to you and, and to find mercy and forgiveness and that you'd give us the energy to try again. God, I thank you so much for the people that are here. I pray that you'd help them to find biblical community. God, I pray that they would be able to love better, that they would live simply, and that they would share openly, and that you would use them to change the world. Oh, these first century Christians, they just simply heard your word and they did what it said, and they changed the world. I gotta pray for that type of movement once again. In Christ's name I pray, amen.